0: everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy.
1: And I'm Sydney McElroy.
0: I'm Justin McElroy.
1: We already did that part. Dang. Justin, I was trying to think as I was, I was sitting down to uh, come up with a topic for this week's episode. You know, sometimes I try to think like, what's timely? What's going on? What's happening? What holidays or events? What's hot? What's new? What's now? And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, my, uh, the first thought I had was, well, my dad's birthday is coming up and that's not really helpful for a medical history podcast necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like the medical history of dads or dad's birthdays isn't really a thing. Yeah. Not a, not a hot topic. Yeah,
0: um, hot topic. Now there would be a good one. The shirts. Is that the Joker? I love it.
1: I don't think that has anything. Rugrats to do, on a hoodie. That has nothing to do with my dad and or medical history podcast. I love my chemical romance. But I I don't know if this is an insight into the way my brain works that I should share or not. <laughs> but when I thought, well, what what has to do with my dad that would have to do with medical history? I thought, oh, I wonder if paternity testing has an interesting history. Um, I don't doubt that my dad's, my dad, uh, we share way uh, too much sports-related aggression (laughs) to not be genetically related.
0: Sounds like a cause of death. (laughs) Cause of death, sports-related aggression. Uh,
1: But uh, it did make me think about You know, I bet there's an interesting history when it comes to, like, proving parentage. And how did we do that? Nowadays, we have DNA, right? I mean, well, we always had DNA. Mm -hmm. That's not new.
0: You could also pretend this is about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is just wrapped up. Paternity is huge on that show. Right. This is our Game of Thrones Tommy Smurl tie-in episode. It's for both. Yes. If you know Tommy but don't know Game of Thrones, go for that. There we go. If you know Game of Thrones but not Tommy, go for that. If you know Tommy and Game of Thrones, you're probably Mary Smurl, Sydney's mom. There's, so pro- there's probably
1: too. likes a few other people, though. There's probably
0: a, the, yeah. the Venn diagram probably has a few other people.
1: Uh, so humans, as you may imagine, have been trying to prove for various reasons conclusively who their parents were for a long time, both to prove that someone is and on the other end prove that that's not your child necessarily. Uh, there have been great efforts made throughout history to do that before we figured out that like we have DNA and there's a, there's a good way to, to do that. You know, one thing I, I wanted to cover at the top is I had heard the myth, maybe even in a classroom, but I, perhaps not the myth that up to anywhere from 10 to 30% of people don't know where the sperm that that created them, where it actually came from, that the person they think, you know, fathered them is right, not is not. Uh, I've heard that myth. That is that is not true. It is probably a much 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 lower number, like on the order of one to two percent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. I had I just not thought heard I this, would myth, bust so that. I'm assuming
0: it might be a medical school thing because I've no, never heard that.
1: I I'd heard that myth before. I've looked it up. It is is considered, and you asked me what I thought it would myth. be,
0: and I nailed it. it yeah. was. you I said like three,
1: and like some studies have said perhaps up to three, but like probably one to two. Anyway, uh, the point is that's not a that's not as big an issue. Do
0: mm-hmm. do you, you want to talk about terminology real quick? Just because it it's, it gets a little gendered. <laughs>
1: it, it does. It does. The language when it comes to so like if you were to look up a paternity test what they are referencing is trying to figure out uh, which individual the sperm came from when it came to making the child because there had to there had to have been a sperm there had to have been an egg Mm -hmm. Uh, and maternity testing refers to figuring out who provided the egg so those are generally like if you if you're going to go have these done and you're Googling to try to figure out like where can I do this and how much would it cost and what services provide them. These are the terms you would use to look up those things. Now they are gendered terms.
0: Yeah, you know, women can make sperm, men can make sperm, vice yes. versa. Everybody can make eggs and sperm. It's it's mm-hmm. but but there this is the. This is the shorthand that we have, and there's not a non-gendered way of talking about parentage right now. You, we could
1: you... say parental testing, but I think the problem is is we're looking back through history. As you may imagine, a lot of the testing, quote-unquote testing, <laughs> that was done was really focused on who provided the sperm, especially when we are talking about, like, uh, royal lineages and uh, children that were uh, conceived outside of a marital relationship, mm-hmm. that's what really kind of decided where in society that, that child was going to fit Right, was who provided the sperm. And so a lot of it was focused on what, what is broadly referred to as paternity testing. Um, but obviously again, that it's not, it's, it's, it's a, it's a defect in our language. We need a non-gendered term for that other than the person from whence the sperm came. <laughs> Very,
0: it's very wordy.
1: <laughs> the this episode will be three hours long. The sperm came uh, in ancient Rome. Proving parentage was really important because, as I said, it, it would change your standing in the community depending on who, who, you know, got busy. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. In scientific terms,
1: and yes. Uh, if if a child there was a specific term for children who were born of incestuous relationships. Hey, Game of Thrones. This refer. This is really relevant to that, right? Mm-hmm. There was some of that. Sure, yeah. Ah, uh, they were called the incestuosi, incestuosi, incestuosi. Sounds like a hot social click. It was not. Uh, <laughs> they actually no, could be, toys, no because if it, because not only did the father not necessarily have to support that child. The mother actually at the time had no like legal requirement to support a child that was born of that sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so disproving that would be very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if it was, as I mentioned, a child. So if there is a married couple and then somebody steps out, the child that is, that is conceived in that manner is also regarded uh, as a lower lower on the social rung in ancient Rome. Okay. Um, And so all of these things really mattered Uh, for, for potential uh, fathers. The reason that you wanted to prove or disprove this claim was, it became a financial one as actually as far back as the sixth century CE, we began to require alimony, child support, some payment to the person who would be raising the child from the other person who was involved in conceiving the child. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you, you know, Justinian said like, everybody's got to be held accountable no matter how the child was conceived. Mm. You're going to have to pay for it. So it became an issue because it became a financial issue. Um, This actually, this held true for a long time. There have been, if you look into the legal history of it, it's really interesting because there was a point in history in the 1800s when, like, for instance, in France, the French Civil Code actually said that uh, you can't force any parents to be accountable for a kid just because they had it. Why? I don't know. I'd have to ask French people. (laughs) Seems like a pretty good reason, French people. (laughs) I'd have to ask the French people in the 1800s. This didn't last very long. That is obviously not our modern idea yeah. of of your responsibility as a parent to the child that you bore uh or or helped to create in um in modern society in France or anywhere else i believe that you have some accountability for their welfare. Uh there were uh some methods of determining parentage that were based on timing of pregnancy. That was a really common way uh was just like asking about menstrual cycles. And how, trying to figure out, you know, this was still a problem back before ultrasounds and such. How 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 far along, mm-hmm. you know, how long has this person been pregnant? I'm sure that was always tastefully handled. No, never. Uh, there were there were obvious heritable traits that would be looked for, which is so it's like yeah, touch it so, uh, yeah, so, 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 so hit and miss. I he mean, has, yeah, he has
0: your nose. That kind I thing.
1: guess. Yeah, uh, there were some other stranger. Kind of concepts like there was a, a North Germanic tribe that would have the potential if it was a, if it was a male child, once they were old enough, I guess, to hold things, they would have them hold a metal, a hot metal rod. And if they were truly the son of whoever. They were claiming they could hold it.
0: If yeah. They and, it like as long as their dad, then they're like yeah. as much of a wimp as their dad. Like they let it go instantly. <laughs> like, oh, that's Phil's kid. Phil couldn't hold the hot metal rod either.
1: <laughs> uh there were there were easy options for for those who were claimed to be the father of the child the Mm -hmm. the ones who were in the paternity suit so to speak there were some easy ways that they could prove that they were not in fact involved in the conception of the child uh the easiest was just was to prove that you were out of the country
0: yeah have a receipt from dunkin donuts in another (laughs) land you're set.
1: You got documentation. You got witnesses. Now, again, you said, of course, was this handled tactfully? No, because the the pregnant person had to undergo an examination to try to determine the timing of the pregnancy. Uh, and so if you could, basically, if you had the receipts, you could, that would be one way of denying uh, paternity. The other way uh, was to prove that you could not impregnate anyone under any circumstances <laughs> so they had to hold an impotence trial
0: that's so rad <laughs> what a ra- oh ho, ho ho not so fast <laughs> i'm taking you to court impotence court <laughs> to prove that i phil could not have sired that child to all of our phils yeah listening, I don't i'm know, sorry phil you're getting a rough go of it this time i don't know bud
1: so uh These were defined as uh, legal sexual fights, legal sexual fights, sexual fights, like foxy boxing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, basically what you would have to do, there was a congressus. uh, So there were some surgeons, some official priests, some matrons, various people who I guess were good at judging. These kinds of things. Right. And you would have to go before them in person and demonstrate your inability to become erect and ejaculate.
0: Boy, that's a that's a full afternoon, I tell you. That is a lot to have to deal with, I feel
1: like. And if you could successfully prove that you were incapable, then that would eliminate you as a potential sperm donor from the equation because you couldn't. So...
0: There. That's what that scene in A Few Good Men is about. Did you know that? <laughs> Jack Tom Cruise is like <laughs> I want
1: the I've never seen A Few Good Men, but I'm guessing it's not.
0: No, it's it's actually absolutely about what you just described exactly, verbatim.
1: Now, these these sexual fights were problematic in that Justin, would you say it would be difficult as a as a <laughs> I am not a penis haver. as someone who is Justin. <laughs> Would you say it would be difficult to do this in front of a courtroom full of people?
0: It I, here, here's what I'm I'll say. Under make, any circumstances, I'll make this blanket statement. Okay, Squid, I'll, let me make this blanket <laughs> statement. For most people with a penis, yes. For a certain segment of people with penises, 100. No, <laughs> like here's. I don't want. I can't say unilaterally. I would guess the for the majority of people, yes. For a slim minority, oh, it's not gonna be a problem whatsoever. This is my whole thing. <laughs> this is my whole jam. I've driven this my entire life. This is my moment to crank it in a courtroom. <laughs> um
1: if you if you did they have lawyers Yeah, I mean it was a legal proceeding. It is illegal. <laughs> it is a... This is how you. This is how if you wanted to prove that it is a legal erection, <laughs> it's a legally binding erection. If you wanted to prove that judge. that wasn't your, if they need a judge, child, to judge. <laughs> this is how it went down, and you were not in doubting this. You were not alone. Uh, we've talked about uh, famous French surgeon Ambroise Paré before on the show. He was up
0: in the historic rebuff, right? Uh, no. Oh, Paré. He no. he published he was, the he complete was... works that had stuff about uh.
1: Oh yes, okay, stuff, yes, he right? did have stuff. You're right, you're right, you're right. He was he also well, we've talked about him in so many episodes. He was like instrumental in wound care and amputation and um, important French surgeon, but he also. His comment on this, which he did not publish while he was alive, he wrote it and then it was published after he after he died. That just to to say, like, listen, it would be pretty impossible for most people to perform in this arena, and I don't know that this is a great way.
0: What a prudish time that you can't even say that while you're alive. Like, listen, (laughs) this is this is off my blue side. All right, this is this is this one uh uh send the kids to bed. <laughs> Let me tell you my opinion about erection court there,
1: there were other medical arguments that um people could prove a little bit easier people who were who were claiming they were not responsible uh for for the conception of a child um so there was an Italian physician in fifteen ninety five Giovanni battista Condronchi, 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 got it yeah who uh talked about that if you had excessive liquid evacuation, mm-hmm. then you may not be able to. You, you know mean too much Yeah.
0: Sperm. Too no, much. not sperm. Like semen. You, yes. That's the word.
1: Yeah, well also like if you masturbate a lot.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you meant like if it was too liquidy,
1: you'll lose sperm quality, oh. and that if you don't eat enough, you'll lose sperm quality. True. Any deformities of the genitals. Um, he also specifically targeted overweight people, and said that basically there's there's too much there's like fat in the blood, like like actual adipose tissue, there's fat in the blood and that it would, you couldn't make good sperm. Um, yeah. So that could be a defense you could too. use. Like I am too overweight to have, to have pre, to have provided good sperm. And um, so I could not have possibly been involved in the conception of this. That's child. that's
0: true too, right? No,
1: None of that, that is true. None of, of, none of, no, 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 that is true. That is not true. Um, so if you could prove any of that, you could claim I couldn't, it's not me. Couldn't be.
0: Couldn't be. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Um, no overweight person has ever gotten anybody pregnant. <laughs> there was that a, doesn't even stand up to basic like mm-mm. that's threadbare and raw. I gotta
1: say uh, th- th- they get called out on this eventually. Don't worry. Oh, there's Giovanni, a lot not of anymore. sorry. No, that was Giovanni. But th- th- there was a lot of kind of ridiculous claims that that I have not. I don't have historical proof for this, but they they speak of kind of like, uh, hey, I got your back, buddy. Hey, don't worry, bro.
0: Actually, Der- all Derek's are impotent. So my friend Derek <laughs> could not have done this. That is all not Derricks true. All
1: Derek's are not. I'm sorry, Derek's. <laughs> I am sorry to all of the Derek's. Uh, so there was also the uh, Fortunatus Fidelis that was from a Italy. Sydney. Right. That
0: was a lawyer character. I, was no, I know.
1: I just am not apologizing to all the Derek's and Phil's who you've offended with our podcast. Fair enough. Uh, he also stated that uh, you, if you had a crooked penis.
0: Mm. Hold on. Let me listen more intently to this part for no reason in particular.
1: Go ahead. What now?
0: I said, let me listen to this part very intently for no reason in particular.
1: Okay. Okay. Also, uh, he described a penis of such large size. All right. I'm going to tune out. That (laughs) any sort of sexual intercourse would be of mortal danger (laughs) to the woman. 38 years old. And so it is impossible that this person could actually have vaginal intercourse.
0: That is, and that is actually verbatim the title of the first porno tape ever made (laughs) was a penis of such large size that sexual intercourse must be a mortal danger to the woman uh, is the name of the first ever pornography video cassette. From the 1600s. so Fertilization and paternity would be impossible. That is the second. That's the sequel.
1: If you had all these options Uh that you had to claim in front of a judge, (laughs) why didn't everybody claim that one? (laughs) Why were some people in there and they were like, my doctor says I'm too overweight, (laughs) when another option would have been, my doctor says my penis penis is (laughs) too big. big.
0: I had what most men, what what is he saying, um... (laughs) I had penis reduction surgery. Uh-huh. uh uh-huh. Um, I Sydney, I have to know more. I don't I don't even care what about. I just have to keep going.
1: Obviously, in this uh in the so the patriarchy is running amok on oh, this boy. topic.
0: They're having a lot of fun. They're here. just all
1: over it. <laughs> Patriarchy's getting a little science wild. Science is gonna have to call them into question. But before before we get there, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The
0: medicines, the
1: medicines, that escalate macabre for the mouth. So we, in the 1600s, we began to develop some pathways to uh, figuring out like what, the problem is we didn't really understand fertility well, right? Like Mm -hmm. before we can start figuring out like who, who are the parents of this child, right? We have to figure out like how are babies made.
0: (laughs) Right. We're, yeah, we're a long way away from that.
1: And we're still like, there's still a lot of debate. A, A lot of people had the idea that it was really just the sexual act. And not necessarily any sort of exchange of fluids or anything. So like you didn't, so the ejaculation was removed from the idea of fertility for Mm -hmm. a while. Um, This started to change in the 1600s when we found sperm. When we had, first we had to have microscope (laughs) and then we could look, look at some semen and go, whoa, Oh, hello. what are these animacules?
0: You think that that word just came to them unbidden?
1: Well, they that, that was a common term for oh. tiny little things that move and we don't know what they are. I that must have been backwells.
0: That must have been Buckwild. the first time they were like, uh, hey, you guys better get over here. Uh, there have been tadpoles in here the entire time. They've all in in the stuff. You know the stuff? There've been tadpoles in it. I kid you not. Come look. Come look quick.
1: People were pretty freaked out and it, and it really it challenged the idea that if there is a penis and there is a vagina, a baby can happen. Nothing else is needed. All of a sudden, we begin to get the idea that well, some there's something else happening. Um, as a, I like, there's a Swiss anatomy professor Albrecht von Haller in the 1700s who said, anyway, sexual intercourse requires a perfect instrument, but to father a child, a little bit more is needed. All right. Uh, so throughout the next 200 years, there would be a lot more study on what are sperm, what do they do what uh about uh, oVA how about that what mm-hmm. about the other the other part of the equation we need an egg as well uh, to try to figure out um, how everything worked but all of this doesn't really tell you who the parent is it just it's it helps you figure out who the parent isn't right right because
0: which is a slow and inefficient way of determining exa- parent
1: exactly if you if, if the only thing we're focusing on are I mean let's be honest um people with penises who want to say not it
0: not it not I mean me. that's,
1: I, I can't look there's no there's no sperm in there so it wasn't me um, that's pretty much all this so far we were able to figure out uh, and as a result at the even into the 20th century if you asked a doctor to testify with expert medical opinion as to could this individual be, you know, responsible for this child? Do do you think that this is the person who was involved in the conception of this child? It was really just their opinion and their experience. There was no scientific grounding for this. A lot of it still had to do with proximity and timing. Did these two people have sex around the time that we think this child probably was conceived? Um, But there were other... Uh, As in 1909, there was R. Gottschalk, who published an outline of forensic medicine, because that's what we're starting to get into, right? Forensics, trying to figure out what happened here. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily diagnose or treat anything. Uh, There were, he he wrote that in no other area have so many unbelievable lies and impudent claims been put before the forensic task as in this, accounts of infertility, Uh, because doctors would go before judges and say, Nah, he was too sick to have had a kid, so it wasn't yeah. him. Or he was, his his penis is deformed, or he has a tumor there that will stop it, whether or not this was true. Uh, the genitals were an unusual size. Um, there were... Uh, genitals of an unusual size? <laughs> I don't believe they exist. The, there were doctors who would actually claim that while yes i I, through my examinations, I have concluded that the two individuals in question did have sex at the appropriate time to have conceived this child. I do not believe it is possible for the man to have ejaculated because the woman is not attractive enough. This was an actual legal defense. I'm sorry
0: from all of us. Thank you here. for your apology. <laughs> sorry I'm sorry again for the, everything the whole thing.
1: So even as these claims began to be seen as ridiculous, even as, you know, obviously there were other scientists and doctors saying, like, you can't just go into a courtroom and say, like, nope, couldn't have happened because of something that you have no scientific grounding for. Right. Um, that's just your opinion. Uh, our, our one tool that we could actually use to determine if, if you know, because the, the common thing was, well, I've never been responsible for parenting a child before, you know, like, especially if it was like an extramarital affair. Then usually it was usually a man would say, well, I have no children with my wife. So obviously I can't have children. So I couldn't have been the parent of this child. Um, an easy thing to do would be to examine the sp- for sperm, examine the semen for sperm. In order to do that, though, you got to get a sample. Right? right. Which requires masturbation. Right. And at the time, in the early part of the 20th century, there were a lot of doctors who believed that it was detrimental to one's health. To masturbate. Oh. so they could not ask a patient to do so in order for them to examine it under a microscope because it would violate there. our primary tenet of do no harm because they'd be asking them to harm themselves. Yes. So that all seems rather convenient to yeah. me. Mm-mm. But anyway, so there was no there was no proof there. Uh, there was also even when you would do that, if you would see that the sperm weren't moving. The idea are these sperm not not capable of motility, which could be a cause of infertility. Um, there was a common belief that the sperm don't come to life come to life until they're inside. So you put the a special plaid canal. hat
0: on them, <laughs> and every night they.
1: I, so so they would just say, "Well, the sperm aren't moving because they're not inside the vaginal canal. That's when they really get moving." So, doesn't prove anything. Uh, the real breakthrough when it came to this kind of testing came with the discovery of blood types by Carl Landsteiner. Uh, basically we can use, you remember Punnett squares? Yes. From science class, Gregor Mendel and his pea plants. So basic Mendelian genetics helped in this case. So we could use the blood types of the two people in question and the blood type of the child to figure out if it is possible at all that this person may have been one of the parents of the child. Right. Mm, Right. For both really. Uh, because there are certain, there, if if you do the Punnett Square, there are certain blood types that could not have produced a child with this blood type, right. basically, without getting into all of the specifics. Now, of course, this isn't perfect. It was still like, you could definitely rule people out, like maybe 30% of the time, but you that that was it. You can't prove anything. You can't prove anything, for sure, because people have the same blood type. Uh, later, they we figured out our age groups. That's the positive-negative a positive or a negative, that that part of it. And that helped even a little bit more, but it's still an imperfect uh, test. A good example of this was Charlie Chaplin. All right, what? Uh, he was claimed to have fathered a child of Joan Berry in 1946. They did blood group testing and it ruled him out as a possible parent, but the judge didn't buy it because at the time it was considered unreliable. Wow. So, So he had to pay child support anyway. Uh this, uh, so like I said, this led to a lot of inconclusive results. We looked for better tests throughout the, throughout the 1930s. Um, we did like protein marker testing, like there were different blood tests that were developed. Uh, there was in the 1960s, we did this HLA typing, which has to do with certain genetic markers that we can find on white blood cells. So you could take a sample of the blood, look at the white blood cells, look for these certain markers and that could help up to 80 percent accuracy but it had a lot of trouble with close relatives so if you're not sure which of the like brothers or whatever you know that would that would get problematic
0: Mm -hmm. i think it's you know what it already sounds problematic
1: (laughs) (laughs) it does it does that sounds very problematic uh so finally as we started to get as we started to understand dna in our genes and how to do genetic testing that was really the breakthrough and that didn't happen until the 70s and then into the 80s when we found ways we found that you know we all have unique genetic codes and they are made up of the two people who parented us and we can take some of the dna out of our cells and replicate it that was a big breakthrough with polymerase Mm -hmm. chain reaction meaning we can make Many many copies of a piece of DNA, and then we can either cut it into little pieces and look for certain pieces that match, or we can look for repeating fragments of DNA that we all have, or that that are all different among us, but we would have gotten from one parent or the other. So they found all these ways to do this throughout the 70s and the 80s, and um, now with DNA, all we have to do now is either take a blood sample, or even easier, a cheek swab. Mm-hmm. Swab the inside of your cheek, get some cells, open them up, crack open the DNA, compare it, and with ninety nine point nine nine percent accuracy, we can predict if somebody is a parent or not.
0: There's some part of you that thinks that this would have been a fun line of work to go into, doesn't it?
1: It sounds very cool.
0: It seems there's a well, there's an animation I'm seeing from you <laughs> that makes you makes me think that you wish you had gotten into.
1: I we do we do a little bit of this like throughout like labs. Well, I mean, I did in my, in my college, like, chemistry labs and stuff and biochem and things. And it's just fascinating to think about. We do these, like, gel electrophoresis, separate out the different pieces of DNA that we broke apart with restriction enzymes. It's really interesting. I don't know. I just think it's very cool. But it's the same idea as we've done an episode on genetic testing before. We can do that and we can figure out who your parents are. Um, you can do that. A lot of people ask, can you do that while, like... A person is pregnant can yeah. you figure out who the who the other parent is while the person is still pregnant you can there's one sample that's there's one way of doing it that's invasive it's called chorionic villus sampling where you actually have to stick a needle in and get a yeah sample <sighs> from inside the uterus during the pregnancy and there are some i mean there, there are they're slight risks but there are some risks to that right. there's another way to do it now where we can just look for uh cell fetal cells cells from the fetus in the blood, like by getting a peripheral blood draw from them. From oh the yeah. Parent, which is pretty cool. So you can do that. Um, or you can just wait till after the baby's born too. Um, it's still a problem with identical twins. Oh yeah. They have the exact same genetic code.
0: So you couldn't prove,
1: you couldn't prove which one is the parent. Oh, interesting. There was a case in Brazil this year where two Men were ordered to pay child support for the same child because they could not conclusively prove which one was the dad.
0: Wow. Weird.
1: I know. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Another interesting exception are uh, chimeras. So. The
0: logical beast?
1: No. Oh. No mistake. That is. That's a different thing, isn't it? Chimera? Is that a chimera? Let me tell you, while you're looking, I see you're Googling. While you're Googling, let me look. Let me tell you what a chimera is.
0: So uh, Fire breathing Monster with a lion's head, a goat's body, and a serpent's tail.
1: Oh. Yeah. Well, this that is not what I'm referencing. okay Animals can be uh, chi- can be chimera and humans uh, are animals, so we can too. So basically every cell in your body has the same DNA inside your the nucleus, right? We have the same genetic code inside the nucleus for right. every body cell, no matter where it is in your body, it's all the same. Except for genetic chimeras, they have two different cell lineages in their body. The most common way this happens, I think this is the easiest way to understand what I'm saying. If you imagine that there are two eggs inside the uterus and two different sperm fertilize those two eggs. And then very early in the zygote process, in the, in the formation process, the two fuse into one. They're like two, two, two people in one. Wow. And so there are two completely different genetic codes scattered throughout their body. Most of the time you don't know. Like this wouldn't be something that would be readily, you wouldn't see anything. Everything would look fine. Super strength. No. Occasionally you'll see like different um, color eyes or different patches of different colored skin um, that might indicate that this is true. Um, But uh you wouldn't necessarily ever know that this was true. A uh, calico cat is a great example of this. Calico cats are chimeras. That's why they oh. got the different colors of fur. Now, what's interesting is there's why aren't
0: a... calico cats more rare? Then it seems like there's a lot of those.
1: I think they are more rare than other types, aren't well,
0: they? Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I don't
1: know. Well, I mean, I mean, here's the question: Like, are chimeras less rare? There are other reasons that a person can be a chimera. This is just the most oh. most common. But um, are they less rare than we know? We all have a little bit of of. Uh, other cells in us. Typically, there's exchange in the over the placenta. Anyway, it, this doesn't matter. The point is in 2002, Lydia Fairchild was a case where she was getting divorced, she was pregnant with her third child, and uh she was trying to um get child support for her other two children and the one that was on the way. And and that was it, it was standard at the time to do a proof of paternity, to prove that who she was saying was the dad was the dad of her children. And they also got um blood from her and what they found is that while yes this indeed was the father of the children she could not possibly be the mother of her two children now initially prosecutors jumped on this and tried to take her children away from her thought she was running some sort of scam yeah. nobody knew exactly what the nature of the scam why well, what a scam that would be yeah that's a, as as someone who's raising earth. two children right now i don't know why that would be the scam yeah but um anyway so she she was taking a court over this and she kept insisting, no, they're my kids. And like, nobody was like, uh, we have no evidence that they're not her kids. Like, we don't know what's going on with this testing. So what the judge had was someone present in the delivery room when she gave birth to her third child. And then very shortly after they took blood samples from both that child and Lydia Fairchild. And they found that she could not possibly be the mother of that child, but they had witnessed her giving birth to it. Yeah. So, Uh, One of the defense lawyers read an article in the New England Journal of Medicine about a different woman from Boston named Karen Keegan, who was a chimera, who had chimerism. Uh, So they theorized perhaps this could be the same. So for their client, they took DNA samples from different places in her body and they found that even though her skin and her hair did not match her children's DNA, Mm -hmm. they uh, did a cervical smear, like a pap smear test. The cells from there had the same DNA and proved that she was the mother of the children because they're just cells from the two different cell lines in her body. Wow. Interesting case, right? Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: But anyway, it's easy now, right? We fixed it. We solved this one.
1: Yeah, we're really really good. I mean, I I guess if you ever watch the Maury Povich show, I think that's all it is these days. I never miss one. Is is that, but yeah, with 99.99% certainty, we can, we can figure out who, who parents are or vice versa. Even like if a parent isn't present, you can like backwards construct. If you've got like one parent's DNA and the child's DNA, you can figure out the genetic code of the other parent, That's even wild. without having them present.
0: A wild time. Yes. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to Sawbones. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Happy uh,
1: birthday, dad.
0: Happy birthday, Tommy. Um, um,
1: he should do a court appointed on this.
0: Yes. There's yeah. a great legal history. Listen to Tommy's podcast. It's a legal podcast. If you like sawbones, uh, listen to court appointed. Um, he does it
1: with my uncle Michael. Who's a real lawyer.
0: He's an actual lawyer. in the same way that Sydney's an actual doctor. Um, if you remember to renew your license, don't forget to renew your license, I'm reminding you here on the podcast.
1: I will. Okay.
0: I, I just remember. I it. just it's
1: just like money. Just Everybody out there. It's just money. They just have to pay such a racket.
0: It is a racket. Uh, Uh, Thank you to the Fund Network for having us as part of their extended podcasting family. Uh, We are going to be on the road pretty soon. If you want to come see us live, I don't know if we've even mentioned this. Uh, You can come see us uh, real soon. We're going to be at uh, the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville on June 15th and the Klaus Memorial Hall in Indianapolis on June 16th appearing before my brother my brother and me if you go to bit.ly forward slash uh become the monster i think is the address address that'll work uh you can also go to uh uh and click on tours and you can see links to buy tickets for those uh come see us in schmanners and um my brother my brother me in nashville and indianapolis
1: can i can i give a shout out to the authors of this paper that i use for a lot of this? oh of course uh, Albrecht and Schulteis wrote uh, proof of paternity historical reflections on an andrological forensic challenge that was instrumental in the construction of this podcast. Just an excellent article. I usually don't find so much info in one article and there it was. So if you're interested, shout out, there you go. Uh,
0: I, uh, I think that'll do it for us folks for this week until next time. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the match game. Our contestants Anika and James
0: from the hit podcast Minority Corner. Hey. I'll ask you questions in a rapid-fire round. Favorite character on a Shonda Rhimes show? Olivia Pope. Ooh, I said Olivia Pope's wig. <laughs> oh, so close. How do you feel about Disney? They need to pay reparations to black people because Mickey Mouse was based off of blackface. I said get rid of the racist rides, Jungle Cruise, Splash Mountain. <laughs>
1: Who are you voting for
0: in the primary? It's too damn early. I'm just getting to know these fools. <laughs> Ooh, no dice. What celebrity do you side-eyed Kevin Hart. Can we get a real apology for your homophobia? Justin Timberlake. Nipple <laughs> Favorite superhero movie?
1: Black, Black Panther. Panther Wakanda Wakanda Forever. Forever.
0: Congratulations, <laughs> but you still live. Now I'm side-iron you. you. Catch Aneke and James, the Wonder Twins of Podcast, on Minority Corner every Friday at Maximum Fun.